0: Friday's tech wreck continued today. The Nasdaq composite led lower by the same momentum stocks that got clobbered on Friday, some of them making key technical reversals where they made new all-time highs in the morning, yet got clobbered and closed below the lows of prior trading days. Some of them went below the lows of the prior week. Uh, So a lot of these stocks looking very weak coming into today's trading, and it continued, although some of the losers did manage to eke out a gain. I know Navita, which was um, one of the earliest stocks to reverse on Friday, which had a, a big technical reversal, made a, I guess, I think it took out the low from Friday and managed to eke out a gain. Uh, Tesla also, I think, was one of the ones I saw that was positive. But a lot of the other ones still down a lot. Google, Apple getting clobbered again. Netflix, uh, Facebook, a lot of these big stocks continue to decline. And this time, the overall market did not escape the carnage because the Dow uh, and the S&P were also down on the day. Although there were still some strength. The, The energy stocks were up again today building on the rotational strength that they enjoyed on Friday. But it wasn't just the stock market that had big reversals. I guess it was the cryptocurrencies as well, particularly Bitcoin. You know, I mentioned the last couple of times that I was talking about Bitcoin and the cryptos, the shrinking market share that Bitcoin had in the crypto world. And that continues right now. The market cap of Bitcoin is now down to about 40% of the total market cap of all the cryptocurrencies. Uh, Eurythium, of course, is the biggest uh, competitor right now. If you look at its market cap, it's actually not that much lower now. Total market cap, as I'm looking uh, today, of course, it changes very quickly, but about a 43 billion market cap for Bitcoin and a 34 billion market cap. For Ethereum. Uh, I mean, this is the closest I've seen the two. In fact, I think Ethereum is actually up today, even though Bitcoin is down quite a bit. In fact, Bitcoin had a big reversal last night. I think it traded above 3,000, I think for the first time. Not on every exchange, you know, because different exchanges are different, but on some exchanges, you got above 3,000. And then by late morning, it was trading below 2,500. The low that I saw so far intraday was twenty four eighty, which is about a seventeen percent drop in you know less than a day from the three thousand high that was put in overnight. As I'm recording this now, Bitcoin has bounced back above twenty six hundred, but who knows uh, if this low is going to hold up today? There's a lot of volatility, but you know. The fact that Bitcoin is now losing market share, that should be uh, disturbing. Now, you know, in the past, right, you know, in the last month or so, as Bitcoin has lost market share, nobody seems to care if you own Bitcoin because at least the price of Bitcoin was rising, even if it was losing market share, because it was losing share in an expanding market. But what happens if now the market is contracting? Now, I saw the total market cap for all the cryptos last night was about $115 billion, And now it's down to about $107 billion. I think I saw the low earlier this morning was $103 billion. But let's say that this total market cap is now going to contract for a while. What happens if Bitcoin continues to lose market share, except it loses market share in a contracting rather than an expanding market? That should... Uh, Cause some concerns for those of you that are so wildly bullish on on bitcoin you know by the way it's getting more mainstream coverage look at jim kramer on cnbc is now touting bitcoin he's bullish on bitcoin i tell you he is a good contrarian indicator when jim kramer uh is uh, recommending something uh, to the lemmings on CNBC, you better be questioning whether or not uh, you're on the right side of this trade. Now, I guess the one thing you got going for you, if you're long Bitcoin, is that Dennis Gartman, to my knowledge, hasn't come out and recommended a buy in Bitcoin, because that would have been the kiss of death. But so I guess, you know, he he hasn't commented on it, to my knowledge. So you, you know, you got that going for you. But you got a lot of other uh, indicators, apart from you know people talking about it, people asking about it. I mean, I mentioned on my podcast my realtor in Puerto Rico. You know, email texting me, you know, how to, you know, should I buy Bitcoin? You know, I'm looking to invest some money. What do you think there? But other people, I was watching on CNBC today, these commentators were talking, and I think one of the anchors said that one of her family members had asked her, you know, how do I buy Bitcoin? So, all this kind of things, people that don't even know anything about it, don't necessarily even understand the technology. uh, They just know that it's going up and people are getting rich and they want in on the action. So, these are all very, very negative signs. So, no, I know you. You know you may uh, think, oh, Peter Schiff, you know he's just, you know. You know I know I've get taken a lot in the comment section because of this. And of course, look, Bitcoin is still a lot higher than it was when I first started talking about it. Again, I didn't start talking about it until it was like seven, eight hundred or something like that. I, I, never, I never mentioned it when it was really cheap. I, I just started talking about it when it seemed to me that it had reached a bubble proportion. And obviously, the bubble has gotten a lot bigger. Uh, that doesn't mean it's not a bubble you know i mean all bubbles continue to grow uh until they eventually pop and of course nobody believes they're in a bubble right all the people that are in on it uh don't see it right they get caught up in it and and the fact that the bubble gets bigger it only further reinforces their belief that it's not a bubble because you know they they just get clouded right that they can't see the forest for the trees well there's a lot of there's a lot of trees in this forest and uh, that people are not are not noticing but we'll see i mean right now it seems like uh the cryptos or bitcoin is trading like any kind of momentum stock that is now losing some momentum it's not necessarily trading like a currency or like gold i mean look at this volatility you're talking about 17 percent move from the high to the low obviously hey you can't be a merchant and price your products and accept payments in a, a monetary instrument that can swing by nearly twenty percent in value, I mean, how are you gonna how are you gonna transact in, a, in, in, in in a medium like that? Obviously, it's impossible. Again, you, know, you it's a speculative asset. You can buy it because you think it's going to go up, but that doesn't make it money. Now, that I've said before. That, you know, people would use it, you know, if I'm going to try to extort money out of somebody, sure. Give me some Bitcoins. Who cares if they could lose 18 percent of their value because it doesn't matter. I'm just, you know, I'm just stealing money. I'm looking for an anonymous way to do it. I'm looking for, you know, I'm willing to pay a price to launder my money. And if, you know, if that helps. So I know that it could be used in that respect. But believe me, I mean, it's not being used for commerce. And I know I keep hearing this. Well, eventually it's not going to be volatile. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll believe that when I see it. I don't think that's possible. I don't think it's ever going to not be volatile. I think it's going to continue to be volatile. And the minute it's not volatile, you know, if, if people think it's not going up anymore, believe me, there's going to be a wave of selling. And then the price is going to come right back down. So we'll watch what happens uh, with all these momentum, uh, uh, num- uh, you know, assets, whether it's a stock. And, you know, part of the problem, too, for a lot of these stocks, these momentum stocks, is they are such big weightings you know in the in the indexes and so many people have basically fired their you know their managers over the last several years and just index because indexing performs so very well over the last few years relative to actively managed uh, portfolios because the active managers were using their minds and they didn't want to buy these overpriced stocks but the indexers You know, they're just robots. They just buy whatever is being bought. And so if you just robotically buy overpriced stocks and if more people start doing it, everybody is piling into these same stocks. Meanwhile, the active managers are too smart to want to buy these stocks uh, because they realize how overvalued they are. But the robotic programs, they don't care. I mean, the money's just going where it's going. And so you have all these people now, record amounts of money in these index type products, When these things turn, and again, I don't know if they turned. I don't know if what happened on Friday was just a buying opportunity. Hey, more people are on CNBC today. Buy the dip, buy the dip, take advantage. Amazon's on sale, right? These stocks are on sale, right? Well, they're on sale until they're not. I mean, they said that uh, early in uh, 2000, 2001, right? As this tech market was collapsing, when some of these stocks were down 10%, it was a great buying opportunity. Yeah. It was a great buying opportunity or it was a great buy. It was, you know, say goodbye to your money because some of these stocks went down to zero. They weren't buying opportunities. They were selling opportunities. But people just didn't understand because they had these benchmarks, these ridiculous high, high prices. And they thought, well, it's on sale relative to that crazy price. But the reality was it wasn't a sale. They were still overpriced. They were just less overpriced than they were before. But obviously, this is not the first dip. That these stocks have had in this bubble now is it the last step i don't know right it always reminds me of uh, that Clint Eastwood quote you know do you feel lucky well do you punk and if you feel lucky you can buy more of these stocks but if you don't want to make money based on luck if you want to buy uh things that you know long term have value then you're not even in this market so you don't even have that decision to make But for the people who are in it, obviously, they've got a choice. And a lot of people don't even know, right? They're mindlessly buying these indexes. They really have no idea how concentrated these funds are into a handful of extremely overvalued stocks. But I do know this. Once these markets start to come down and now the people who own these index funds, they want their money back because all of a sudden they're seeing losses and they they want their money. Well, that just accelerates the decline because now they just have to start, you know, coughing these stocks up. And if there's no one there to buy them, if all the indexes are are bailing, then who's going to buy these stocks? Well, the value guys aren't going to buy them until they become a value. So if all the index funds are getting rid of these stocks, right, well, the price has to come down a lot before you get a new class of buyers uh, that wants to step in. So we'll see if this is the beginning. And of course, all of this could be exacerbated on Wednesday when the Fed raises interest rates by another quarter point, despite the fact that... The economic data is lousy. I was looking at a chart today of the economic surprise index, which is at a new low for the year. This is bad news that comes out that surprises people who are looking for good news, including the Fed. The Fed's been looking for good news, and it hasn't got any good news. Yet despite that, it's going to raise rates anyway uh, when it meets on Wednesday. And I think that also is going to weigh on the markets. And then the question is, all right, are they going to do it again? Are they going to raise rates in September? Are they going to raise rates in December? Look, I got a report. I looked at the budget deficit was out for the month of May. And it's about a 65%, 67% increase over the same period last year. Big jump in the budget deficit Why is that? If the economy is stronger now than it was a year ago, why is the government operating deeper in the red? I mean, why isn't a stronger economy generating more tax revenue for the government? Why isn't a stronger economy resulting in less money that the government has to spend on, you know, maybe anti-poverty programs? Instead, the deficit has risen, I mean, look, close to 70% month over month. We haven't even had any tax cuts yet. We haven't even had any uh, stimulus spending, any infrastructure spending. We haven't even started working on the wall. yet the deficit is uh, is is much higher. Now, of course, one reason it's higher is because interest rates are higher, right? The Fed has raised rates a couple of times. and so that makes the interest component of the uh, the debt higher. but that's that's just going to continue. If the Fed raises rates again, that's only going to make the budget deficits bigger. Now, gold prices, have been stagnant. I mean, gold stocks continued some strength today. You know, the GDX was up about, GDXJ rather, I've been talking about the juniors, that was up about 3% today. So the gold stocks are continuing to trade much better than they were, but gold itself didn't go anywhere today. And I think it's being constrained by the rate hike that everybody knows is coming on Wednesday. And again, all these traders, they still believe that rate hikes are bearish for gold i mean despite the fact that every time the fed has raised rates in this cycle the price of gold has gone up but they still believe that higher rates are going to be bearish for gold they're they're not i mean i mean maybe but if rates are rising because there's more inflation that's good for gold because inflation gold's an inflation hedge if you have more inflation you have more reasons to buy gold if rates are rising because credit risks are rising. Well, that should be a positive thing for gold. And of course, rising interest rates, they impact the government because the government has a lot of interest it has to pay. It has a lot of short-term debt. So if interest rates go up, that increases the budget deficit. Larger budget deficits are bullish for gold. They've always been bullish for gold. The government has to borrow more money. Larger budget deficits are are a negative for the dollar. People keep saying higher interest rates are positive for the dollar. Well, if higher interest rates means bigger deficits that the US government needs to finance, that's negative for the dollar. And if interest rates are rising, in theory, bond prices should be falling, right? That should be negative for the dollar, Because if you have a lot of bonds and you want to sell those bonds because you want to avoid the losses, well, if you're a foreigner, you're going to sell the dollar, too, after you sell the bonds. So there are a lot of reasons to understand why rising interest rates are negative for the dollar and why they're positive for gold. They're certainly negative for the economy, too, especially if your economy is all levered up. Higher interest rates are bad for U.S. stocks. They're bad for U.S. real estate. I mean, look at some of the articles I posted on my Facebook page over the weekend, just articles showing how the uh, landlords in the malls are in trouble, how they're losing their tenants, and the tenants who are not going out of business are refusing to sign long-term leases. They only want to sign a lease for a year or two because they have no idea if they're going to be in business. So they won't sign. And look at, you know, the article I posted on uh, restaurant sales collapsing. And you know you can't blame that on Amazon, right? If he, people aren't eating out in restaurants, why are they not eating in restaurants? Because they don't have the money. I mean, people like to eat in restaurants, but if it, you can't afford it, then you got to stay home. You know, it's also interesting, and I pointed this out before, despite the fact that restaurant sales are collapsing, restaurant employment has been surging, or at least the government wants us to believe that, right? Because a lot of the jobs that were created during this so-called recovery We're in the restaurant industry. Well, if people aren't eating out, why are we creating so many jobs? And I answered that question by going into the part-time employment. Yes, restaurants are employing more people because each person is working fewer hours. But if you probably look at total hours worked at these restaurants, the restaurants are actually going down. Also, speaking about inflation, late last week, a bunch of prominent economists published this open letter to Chair Yellen and the Board of Governors of the FOMC, basically questioning the 2% inflation target. And the opinion is that it's too low, that now we need a higher rate of inflation, mainly so the Federal Reserve has more room to cut interest rates, I guess, during the next economic downturn, but also because I think they believe the economy needs additional stimulus. And just because the inflation rate is getting close to 2%, They don't want the federal reserve to fail to provide that stimulus because they have this inflation target that's too low in other words they want a higher inflation target although they didn't actually specify how high the new target should be should it be two and a half percent should it be three percent but they believe that two percent is too low now i've been talking about this for a long time and i've been saying that this was going to happen and maybe this is the first step on that journey to the official adoption of some type of higher inflation target. And certainly it's not a ceiling and it's a movable target. But the Fed is going to do this simply because it wants to continue to repeat its failed policies. Because when the economy goes back into recession and they want to apply more stimulus, if the inflation rate is above 2%, they can't really do it. Because now inflation is above their target. How can they provide stimulus if it means the inflation is going to move higher? So one way to get around that is to have a higher inflation ceiling or target. So now you have more room. You can theoretically provide more stimulus. You could print more money. You could keep rates lower for longer if you have a higher inflation target. And once we go down that path, there is no turning back. And however high they make the target, they're always going to have to raise it. Because again, I've said this, once that genie gets out of the bottle, that inflation genie, it's harder and harder to put it back in again. So if they let the target get to 3% and now they get to 4 it's even harder to rein it back in. And so what do they do? The easier thing is to raise the target, just like they did with the unemployment rate. Every time they got to the rate that they said they would raise rates, they kept lowering it down because they didn't want to raise rates. But believe me, The same thing is going to happen on the other side when it comes to inflation, because the higher inflation gets, the less likely they're going to want to try to rein it in, especially if it's happening in a weak economy, especially if we have stagflation. If we have rising unemployment, a weak economy and rising inflation, the last thing the Fed is going to want to do politically is fight inflation and in its own mind, make the economy even weaker make the unemployment problem even bigger. So the way that they could get out of this predicament is with a higher inflation target. And this really may be the opening salvo in what ultimately is going to be the official increase of the target. This is coming just a question of time before it becomes policy. It's bad policy. But if they're going to keep kicking the can down the road, It's just something that they're going to have to do. It's a roadblock that they're going to have to move in order to kick that can. You know, by the way, I was listening to, I guess, a press conference today with Donald Trump. And he went out of his way to point out how low the unemployment rate is. And it's the lowest rate in 16 years. And he's taking credit for that. I mean, it might be slightly lower than it was when Obama left office. But, I mean, barely so. I mean, it just continued that trend that existed while Obama was in office, but what really bothers me about it when Trump points to these government statistics and then, you know, touts them and then takes credit for them. And when I just go back to candidate Trump, when Trump was running for office, he correctly criticized these phony government employment numbers. And he was like, oh, the unemployment rate's really not you know, 4.8%. 4, 4. It's more like 20 or 30%. Of course, he was exaggerating. He actually he actually made it seem worse than it was. I mean, clearly it wasn't as low as the government claimed, but it wasn't as high as Trump. I think he sometimes I even saw Trump say the real rate is 50%. I mean, he has some crazy numbers, but he was onto something. At least he called out the government for these phony statistics, now it's the exact same statistics, but now they're not phony anymore. Now they're legitimate. Now he wants to point to how low the unemployment rate is as proof that he's the great president and that all the things that he's doing are causing this low unemployment. Completely disingenuous, but not necessary. I mean, I wish Donald Trump would level with the public about how screwed up the economy is. Not tell the public, reassure the public how great everything is, and then when everything collapses, it looks like it's his fault. It looks like he doesn't know what he's doing. If he tells us how great everything is, and then there's a crisis, where is his credibility in trying to come up with a solution? Had he been honest from the start about how bad the situation is, about what a horrible economy he inherited from Obama, how these numbers are not real, then he would have credibility to try to go in a different direction as it stands now what are we going to get when the wheels come off this bus we're going to get the same old stuff as before we're going to get more rate cuts we're going to get qe4 we're going to get bigger deficits i mean these deficits are rising now we haven't even had the tax cuts yet we haven't had the infrastructure spending the all, all the the new government spending so um, it's gonna be the same thing that we had before, and it's just gonna blow up. And as I said, who is gonna get the blame? It's going to be Donald Trump. It's going to be the Republicans., uh, it's unfortunate,, uh, but uh, you know, they've made this bed too, and now they're gonna have to line it. You know, I wanted to uh, follow up a little bit before I close this podcast, some of the comments I got on the podcast I did on Friday about voting and the voting aids. because, you know, I do read these comments and have an idea of what people are saying. So first of all, some people pointed out, you know, hey, you know, it's not fair, you know, if 18-year-olds can be drafted, you know, why can't they vote? Because after all, I mean, they're being forced against their will into the army. They ought to at least be able to vote uh, for the politicians who are, you know, making them making them fight. You know, it reminds me of, uh, uh, you know, a Saturday Night Live, Al Franken, you know, before he was a senator, uh, he was... uh you know, he wasn't a regular, he wasn't like one of the cast members. He wasn't one of the not ready for primetime players. But Al Franken, okay. I remember he came on every once in a while. He was like a reoccurring guy that would come on Saturday Night Live. And I remember one of the skits that he did, he was talking about the draft, right? And I forget if he was a, a pretend candidate for office or he was just talking about the draft. But it was, it was funny because he said, you know, when I was young and eligible to be drafted, I was against the draft. But now that I'm older and ineligible for military service, I am in favor of the draft. And it was, you know, kind of funny the way he did it, but you know, it's funny because it's true, right? I mean, younger people who potentially could be drafted obviously are against it. But older people who know they're too old to be drafted, all of a sudden they're fine about it. Although obviously a lot of older people have children and they don't necessarily want their kids drafted. But the the correct response to this is is that I want to abolish the draft. So, yes, I want to take away the right of 18-year-olds to vote, but I also want to take away the requirement that they be drafted into military service. I am against conscription. That is a violation of individual liberty. You cannot be forced. I mean, I'm surprised, you know, even with the 13th Amendment, there shall be no involuntary servitude. I mean, how else could you define being drafted into a war? being forced to fight against your will. I mean, if that's not involuntary servitude, I mean, what is? I mean, there should be no draft, period. If the government wants to raise an army, then let it get a volunteer army. And if it can't get enough volunteers, then raise the pay. And you know what? If they can't pay people enough money uh, to afford the war, then don't fight the war. Maybe you should reassess your priorities. If you're a government and you can't make the case to the people, that they should join the war because it's a good cause and that they should sign up out of patriotism, out of love of country. If you can't make that case, then it tells you that this war is not just, right? Do not wage wars that you can't afford to fight with volunteers, with paid soldiers. If you have to draft kids, if you have to force people to fight the war, then don't fight it. Come up with some diplomatic way out. So that's the solution. It's not like, oh, well, we're going to draft them, so let's let them vote, right? No, no let's not draft them but they don't vote. Now some people pointed out, you know, and they were correct. They, you know, a lot of young people listened to my podcast and they said, "But Peter, you know, hey, you know, I'm 18, I'm 20. I mean, if the, you know, I'm responsible. I mean, I work and, you know, I'm a free market guy. I'm going to vote for a libertarian type candidate. So why should I lose my right to vote?" And my response is because it, even if a small number of young people are going to vote responsibly. The overwhelming number are going to vote irresponsibly. And what's important is the outcome. Not that you have a vote, because if you're voting and somebody else cancels out your vote, then your vote means nothing, right? So if I am, let's say I'm saying no one under 25 can vote. Let's say I re-raise the voting age to 25. Well, maybe 10% of the people who are under 25 would actually cast good, responsible votes. They're informed, they're intelligent, and they're going to vote in a certain way. But let's say the other 90% are going to vote the exact opposite way. Well, if I was one of the 10% who was going to vote responsibly, I would just assume give up my vote if it meant that the other 90% lost their vote as well, because that's more effective. Because I wipe out all these votes that we're going to vote for the opposite of what I want. Just being able to vote and then having my vote canceled out nine times over doesn't accomplish anything. And as I said, you don't lose your other rights just because you can't vote doesn't mean you lose freedom of property, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of the press. You're treated just like a voter, even if you're a non-voter. But if you just have everybody voting and they vote for socialism, what good is your vote if it gets canceled out by a bunch of morons? So the idea is to try to shrink the voting pool in some way as to have the most responsible pool of potential voters, even if you're not in that pool yourself. Because I would rather not vote and have confidence in the people who are voting than be able to vote and know that my vote is meaningless because a bunch of morons are going to vote to cancel me out and vote for the opposite of what I want. One final comment. I've been meaning to point this out and I keep forgetting, but I've been noticing that I've been losing quite a few of my subscribers to my YouTube channel because I've been holding steady. I have about 173,000 subscribers and it's been that way for, I don't know, about a month. And, you know, at one point I got up to 173,100 and change, but then I went back below 173,000 to 172 and change and you know I'm adding subscribers but you know I'm losing them as well and I seem to be losing them as fast as I'm gaining them now if not even faster in some respects and I'm curious as to why you know I mean maybe it's because of that one YouTube video that you know accused me of selling out my company to George Soros and you know tried to paint me as some kind of Sell out, even though there is absolutely no truth to the story. I think it did maybe create some animosity towards me. And so maybe I lost a few subscribers there. Maybe it's the negative talk about Bitcoin. I know there's a lot of people out there uh, in, you know, free market people, libertarian people who might listen to my podcast who also might be, uh, you know, invested in Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. They, they may not like my stance and that I don't embrace it as I don't embrace the new technology. I don't think it's going to work. And so I think that's not winning me any friends, certainly among people who own these, the currency and are hoping that it goes a lot higher. But, you know, believe me, nothing that I'm saying is diminished the appeal. Right. I started talking about it. Uh, Bitcoin was 800 and, you know, went to 3000. Right. So I didn't stop the rally. Um, So it's not, you know, and now that it's going down, I mean, it's got nothing to do with me. But obviously, you know, not everybody is going to agree with you on everything. But I mean, obviously, that could be some of the reason that I'm losing some subscribers. But I don't know. I really don't know what it is or what I'm doing differently now that is causing some people to uh, to unsubscribe from my YouTube channel. But uh, I don't know if you have any, uh, have any thoughts on that. You might want to throw a comment uh, in my comment section if you have any, uh, have any ideas. And also, hey, you know, tell your friends. Let's drive these subscriptions. You know, I should have over 200,000 subscribers to this YouTube channel. So if you are a subscriber, I mean, try to, you know, use your social media, use your Facebook account or your Twitter account. Get your friends involved. Get more people to sign up so more people can hear Uh, this free market perspective rather than simply uh, the, the, the more status point of view that they get through their traditional media sources.